and welcome to the Perfect Gentleman podcast. This is episode 48. I am Zach Falconer Barfield, and alongside me is the gracious, the charming, and the sophisticated Mr. James Marwood. <laughs> Thank you very much, my friend. I should save all these out and send them to potential employers. <laughs> I think you should. And also just keep sending them to the Duchess and going, see, this is what Zach says about me. <laughs> Knowing her, she'll just roll her eyes. <laughs> and just smile and carry on with whatever she was doing beforehand. So did you have a nice, quiet um, Valentine's, James? I did. It was really nice. We had chili con carne, bottle of wine some TV, a movie. It was really nice and relaxed. It was nice just to spend some time together and kind of turn off the phones and focus on us. Lovely. Very delightful. A couple of subjects I want to talk about today. One is about being charming. Yes, indeed. Based on a conversation I had with someone a while ago about the ability to be taught to be charming. And then the follow-on conversation from that was about midlife cliches. Yes. (laughs) And as I am in the midlife cliche period and you're going towards it, I thought we should have a little conversation about that. And then there's a topic you want to talk about, James. Yes, indeed. As you know, we're cigar fans. I talked a little while ago that when my depression kicked in uh, last year, I slipped and started smoking again something which I'd stopped about 10 years previously and now I've stopped both of them and I've taken to vaping which has a bit of an odd mixed reputation but I'd like to talk a little bit about how I found that the things I like and the things I really don't excellent so let's crack on a few weeks ago I had a discussion with someone about being charming because I said that you could be taught to be charming. Yes. The person who I had the conversation with said, no, you can't. You're either born charming or you're not. And then we had various discussions about it and ended up convincing them that you could be taught to be charming. It's an interesting thing. I think we need to bring the ability to be charming back into the world, certainly in today's world, as we can see various political personages who we won't mention could learn a little bit of charm and society in general could learn a little bit of charm yes so what do we mean when we talk about charm for me it's a combination of being polite of being considerate and being fun is probably too strong a word but certainly in that amusing what is often referred to as british self-deprecating manner being polite and fun and well-mannered but all wrapped up into one bundle, if you like. Charm is about the ability to communicate effectively in a pleasant and affable way. Yes, I would agree. I mean, I have heard and seen people talk about charm negatively. They think of it as a way of getting someone to do something they don't want to or taking advantage of someone in a social situation, and that's not what we're about at all. As you say, it's about being good company and being pleasant to be with. Absolutely. If you're using it for nefarious ends, then you're not being charming, by the very definition. Yes, I would agree. It's interesting. Do you think you can be taught to be charming? I think so. It's something that a lot of people learn very early in life, and that's probably why we have the perception that it's something that you have naturally. And some of us... You know, people who aren't as confident in social situations often think that they can't be charming. But there's a young lady I know, a good friend of mine, who's naturally quite shy, quite socially anxious, and yet she's incredibly charming because she shows a little vulnerability, but she's just genuinely interested in people. She wouldn't be the person to volunteer to stand up and give a speech. But when you're having one-to-one conversation... She cares about the conversation and she cares about you. And that's incredibly charming. That's one of the fundamental things about being charming. You have to be interested in people. I think that's one of the most um, building blocks of charm, that ability to be 
interested in people. Because so I think if you're not interested in people, then it becomes very difficult to be charming. Yes. You can learn to be charming falsely, if you like, for nefarious purposes, but then you're not being charming, as we said. The fundamental thing is about being interested in other people. Yes, just simple things like appropriate eye contact, paying attention to what the other person is saying, respecting their opinion, their point of view, and listening to what they say. The other side of it is to be charming, you have to be fascinated. There's a side of being pleasant and considerate and kind, but then the flip side of that is you have to be fascinating. So in my mind, there's four key elements to being charming. First one is probably the hardest one, and we'll deal with that in a minute, is confidence. Yes. The second part is humility. Yes, I think that's very important. The third thing is presence. So having a presence yourself the ability to be present but also the have a presence which is a reflection on your confidence as well and the last bit as most of the great exponents of charm as we will discuss have some wit yes indeed be a little bit funny talking about learning to be charming anyone who says oh no you can't learn to be charming all you have to do is look at movie stars in the 1930s and 40s indeed because they were taught charm at the movie studios there were some great natural exponents of being charming, like David Niven and Cary Grant. Most of the people who were actors in that period of time, nope, they actually got taught it by the people at the movie studios. There are very, very few skills in life that can't be taught and improved upon. From sport to business to life, everything you can learn to be better. And charming's no different. Absolutely. What we talk about here at The Perfect Gentleman, what we try and impart on you out there, and whether it's the podcast, the magazines, or one of our courses or anything like that, we, what we fundamentally teach is confidence. So all the stuff that we teach, whether it's the way you dress, the way you behave, the way you act, the manners, the etiquette, all this kind of stuff is the building blocks of confidence. Yes, indeed. I think confidence can be taught. And I think you can teach it in two ways, inside out and outside in. We've talked about this in a previous podcast. Outside in is the quicker way to do it. It doesn't always stick so quickly. But outside confidence is dress better, behave better, have the manners, have the etiquette, dress better, and, and people will start reflecting on you because you are behaving in that way. And the inside out way is basically fundamentally change your values, your abilities, your set of confidence. Now that takes a little bit more time, that takes a little bit more effort, but the building block is more solid. Absolutely. And then the other bit is learn to be a bit witty. Now, learning to be witty is sometimes a challenge, but all you have to do is watch a few great examples of great wits and great charm, and you'll get it very quickly. My favourite, as you well know, is my idol is David Niven, one of the greatest charming, witty individuals ever. Uh, he was a great raconteur and a great wit, and if you listen to most of his stories, they're charming, and they're generally about him and making him look like an idiot. There's an interesting dynamic that happens, I think, when you show a little bit of vulnerability and you are self-deprecating to a reasonable degree. It builds trust, I think, in a great way. It's something that I rely on quite a lot when I'm building a relationship with new clients. If I come in and try to say that I know everything and I'm the, the best thing since sliced bread, eyes roll and people switch off. But if you're a little bit willing to show the things that you don't know or that make you look a bit silly or those sorts of things, it's magnificent. Absolutely. I'm a big exponent of that. You have to show a little bit of vulnerability. You have to show that you are not uh, 
not God, as it were. Absolutely. I think a great modern example of someone who's eminently charming and very good at that is Hugh Jackman. Yes, yeah, very good. He's always very good at being charming and self-effacing and self-deprecating and not taking himself or his image or what he does too seriously. Absolutely. I was watching a couple of interviews with Idris Elba over the weekend. He does that, but also the way he pays attention to the person he's talking to as he's doing it and just his use of eye contact and the way he holds himself is fantastic. He's very much a gentleman. It's just so natural and relaxed the way he does it. He's a great example. There are a few out there. If you want to talk to us more about being charming, you want some tips, you want some advice, please do drop us an email at inquiries at theperfectgentleman.tv or contact us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter at The Perfect Gentleman or James and I directly on our own personal social media. We're always happy to hear from you. We always love speaking to you. So with great charm Jane. <laughs> yes <laughs> i turned 45 a few weeks ago congratulations happy birthday i did say it on the day but happy birthday again in public <laughs> in public thank you yes of course 45 is the height of the midlife crisis the midlife cliches have you bought a sports car no i have not bought a sports car i am not dating a 20 years younger lingerie model i'm sorry to hear that my friend <laughs> <laughs> i've not suddenly taken up water skiing skydiving or other crazy sports that the people in their midlife crisis generally do. And I haven't suddenly uh, decided to sell everything up and move to the Bora Bora or Fiji. I don't really fit into the traditional midlife crises and cliches. It's funny you should say that because I was accused by a friend of mine with a quite an acerbic wit of starting my midlife crisis early a couple of years ago when I bought myself an MX-5, a Mazda Miata, I think they're called in the US, so a little soft top sports car and started boxing again. She asked me if this was on midlife crisis. It may have been. <laughs> there is something that happens when you're at the sort of age we are. You know, I think for men especially, we hit a few milestones and points of uncertainty in our lives. For a lot of my friends, this happened sometime around the 20s, early 30s. You realise your life is either not quite where you wanted it to be or it's in a slightly odd position and that certainty that you had as a teenager and and in your 20s that brittle confidence begins to mature life can become a bit uncertain and I think that happens also again for a lot of men around the midlife point where you take stock and you think actually is this what I want my life to be like and we make jokes about it and we laugh about it and some chaps do do very silly things uh, leave their wives for you know, 20-year-old lingerie models and the like. But I think it can be a really good thing. It's good to take stock and think, actually, if my life is not the way I want it to be, I should change it. But the important thing is that, you know, your life isn't the things that you own or necessarily the hobbies that you do. And it's not about proving you're still virile or young or energetic. It's about looking at your life and saying, am I happy if I'm not How do I change my life so that I am? Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, Taking stock is important, just not running off and doing crazy stuff. Have a moment of reflection. Think about what's going on and think about what you want and what you wish to achieve. And is that that you're halfway through, four score and ten? I had a really interesting conversation with Michael Bryan, who's a very wise chap. He was talking about my cousin and about how he has a happy life. He's not dedicated to a career. He doesn't want to own a big house. He's not interested in having the latest cars he's interested in having experiences and enjoying life and traveling and socializing and spending time with friends and loved ones and things like that and I was reflecting on that and comparing that a little bit with with my life 
And it's interesting that, you know, the things that, as I take stock, as I get towards the midpoint in my life, what are the things that actually make me happy? And it's not the things that I own. You know, I love my suits, don't get me wrong. Things like that don't matter to me now as they did when I was 30. What matters to me now are relationships and experiences. You know, that's what's important. So that's what I'm focusing on now. And it's taken me a while to get to it, but it feels like a more positive way to view life than keeping score through stuff. I totally agree with that. Well, I shall avoid the most of the midlife crises. I <laughs> might enjoy taking a trip to Fiji or Bora Bora, but I'm not going to sell everything and move there. And I had a sports car when I was 19. I got through that, that craziness when I was 19. I had my two-seater sports car then. Though I am doing a few crazy things of my midlife crisis, but I don't think that they're, they're that crazy. Walking 100 kilometres in July in 30 hours for charity is not that crazy. It's OK. It's acceptably crazy. That's acceptable. For me, you know, looking at my health, looking at my fitness, all of that, that's important. It's good that you do that sort of thing. But I don't want to get too silly. <laughs> no. Certainly not. So if you have a midlife crisis, do let us know. Tell us what your solution to your midlife crisis was. We'd love to hear. We'd be amused. It might be something that we'd like to take on a bit further. You never know, we might try it ourselves. So, uh, James, what's this vaping stuff? I've seen it. I've wandered around. People have blown cherry smoke in my face. Tell me about your vaping experience. So vaping or e-cigarettes or that kind of thing, it's a kind of smoking-like activity. It's not technically smoke because it's vapour. And the way they work is that flavoured and potentially nicotine-containing liquid is soaked into a little cotton wick that's next to a, a metal coil that's heated using electricity, and then you inhale the resulting vapour, which gives a sensation similar to smoking, but more healthy. It's quite a modern thing, and some of the rules around it aren't really quite codified. There can be a little bit of conflict around people wanting to vape where they wouldn't be allowed to smoke. I got into it because I wanted to stop smoking. I smoked a lot as a boy, from being 16 up to my mid-20s, late-20s. And then I stopped for quite a long time. And then in a moment of very foolish weakness, I started again. And that became a problem you know smoking especially cigarettes is a bad habit with no upside it's expensive it smells bad it's terrible for your health and it's pretty antisocial especially for me with a partner who has never smoked it was unfair to expect her to put up with that i wanted to stop when i tried a number of things and i wasn't finding any of it easy and so she suggested why didn't i try vaping so i gave it a go and on the face of it it is much as cigarette smoking is it looks a bit ridiculous <laughs> it's a bit of an odd idea. If someone just suggested this to you out of the blue and you had no context of smoking or anything like that, you'd look at them like they were mad. I fully accept that. <laughs> it's not helped by some of the culture that goes along with vaping. Like any hobby that's primarily aimed at and driven by chaps in their 20s and 30s, people take it too far and get a bit silly. <laughs> You know, geekiness in all its forms is when not taken to a ridiculous extreme, fun. What's interesting to me, it is a huge industry now. I think something like £1.6 billion in the UK annually and almost entirely done by small and independent businesses. There are a few chains, but they're not huge. That's how I started with one of the chains from a little stand in the shopping centre and I got this little silver pen-like device that you fill with juice and suck on and exhale little clouds of chemical tasting smoke and it wasn't very pleasant but it was better than smoking 
and an awful lot cheaper. For some of our listeners in the US, cigarette smoking is less expensive than here, but a packet of cigarettes in the UK costs now over £10. If you're smoking 20 a day, as probably a lot of people do, you know, you're looking at spending almost £80 a week just to smoke. And to put that in contrast, you know, that's more than I would spend in the supermarket in a week, quite a bit more. You know, it's more than it would cost to fill up my car with petrol. It's more than a nice dinner for two would cost at a good restaurant. It's crazy. So vaping as a low-cost, healthier, less antisocial alternative is a good thing. One of the challenges I've found is that it's because it's a geeky hobby and most of the hardware comes from Chinese manufacturers, it can be quite confusing. It can be a little bit daunting to look at and to start. And it is terribly geeky, which is a turn-off for a lot of people. Once you get past that, like any other activity, you can take it as far as you want to take it. I enjoy it. It fulfills my addiction to nicotine in a way that is less damaging to my health. There are some potential health risks, but they're relatively minor. It's not as healthy as not smoking or not doing anything at all. It's a compromise. It works for me. The only challenge I really have is some of the odd bits of the culture around it. Have you ever been into a vape shop or seen the advertising for it? I've seen advertisements for it. I've never been into a vape shop. I have a couple of friends that do vape. I was fascinated by the flavours of the vaping liquid. There seems to be two types of vaping shop. There are those which try to be very clean and modern and try to look a little bit almost like a coffee bar or an Apple store. And there are those which are honestly filthy and unpleasant. <laughs> I've been in both and you never know what you're going to get until you open the door. You know, some of them are full of surly looking young men in hoodies having competitions to see who can blow the biggest clouds of steam. And some of them look like very nice Italian style coffee shops. <laughs> I much prefer the latter, and I think most people do. It's the perils of industries that are dominated by small businesses. One of the things that's really interesting to me, and has been somewhat of a mission, is finding the liquid, the juice as it's called, in a flavour that I can enjoy. The liquids that are used to make this, the bases, which are oils basically, vegetable-based oils, are naturally very sweet. So they lend themselves to sweet flavours. But one of the challenges has been trying to find liquid that doesn't taste like penny sweets or, you know, something you would enjoy as a five-year-old. I'm probably very unusual in this, but most people tend to or seem to really like things that are reminiscent of childhood sweets or fizzy drinks baked goods with weird and wonderful names. <laughs> I have seen those, yes. Yes, the naming is quite something. I have a little tray here of juices that I'm trying. They've got names of things like Greed or Ruby, <laughs> Black Demon, um, and it's all very juvenile, which is a, a bit of a shame. Um, you know, the, the juice I'm smoking today is called Peckham Spring, a little bit more grown up a little bit nicer named after Peckham Spring after the, the park of Peckham it's a sort of lemon lime and menthol juice and it's very refreshing it's nice but a lot of these are things like cherry fizz or strawberries and cream and, and it's been a bit of a mission trying to find things that I like and that appeal to my palate without indulging in things I would have eaten when I was at school there are tobacco based flavours to try and simulate 
more effectively the taste and feel of a cigarette. And some of those are really excellent. I have some by a company called Black Note that are made by naturally extracting the taste from tobacco. It's basically they soak it in water and mature it and things like that. They're very good, but I'm leaning away from those because I'm trying to make this not a cigarette substitute or a cigar substitute, but to be something I enjoy in its own right. I would love to find a good vape that tastes of rosemary or tea, ginger or things like that without this chemical sweetness. Well, interesting. Also, I've seen vapes that look amazingly ostentatious, look like steampunk pipes and all sorts of amazing things as well. As you said, it gets very geeky. Oh, very, very geeky. And you have ones with screens and even ones you can play games on. Anything that you can imagine a 20-something chap could imagine having an electronic device, you'll find it. (laughs) Um, and do they do nicotine-free ones? Is that- yes, they do. They do, and quite a lot of people do smoke those, especially people who are into the flavours or into the what they call the cloud chasers, guys who are trying to blow these great big clouds. And generally speaking, you get different strengths of nicotine. It's interesting, actually. I mean, I have cut down on the strengths. When I started, I was using 18 milligrams, and now I smoke or vape 6 or 3 milligrams, which is quite low. People make their own. You can get ones where the nicotine comes separate, so you can set the strength yourself. You get flavourless e-liquid that is literally just the taste of the smoke, just mildly sweet. There's a fantastic array of flavours and hardware. I must admit, I do enjoy it. It's very relaxing. Excellent. Well, I shall, I shall might have to, to sample it at some point in the future. Next time we meet up, there are a couple in London of vape cafes. We'll track one down and go to one of those. We shall do that. And ladies and gentlemen, I hope you've learned to be charming. You've dealt with our midlife cliches. And uh, if you take up vaping, James is your guide into the vaping world. Please drop us a line at inquiries at theperfectgentleman.tv or contact us on social media for The Perfect Gentleman. And that's the P Gentleman or Gentleman on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram or contact James and I on our social media channels if you Google us you'll find us that's the always the easiest way to say it next week will be episode 49 and we'll be doing our reviews so we'll look forward to doing that James a pleasure as always sir and you my friend always good to talk we'll see you next week bye bye this podcast is brought to you by the Perfect Gentleman Group Limited and was edited by Andy Nickel at the Pistachio Palace